When our guest was 14 years old, he was a drug addict, homeless, and his life was a wreck. But his story of redemption is one that truly captures the heart of what being a man means. So today we're going to hear from Tim Holloway. Are you ready to live life to the full? Are you ready to rise up and live a life of honor? Are you ready to boldly step into a life of courage? This is the Manlyhood Mancast, and here's your host, Josh Atcher. Gentlemen, welcome to the Manlyhood Mancast. I'm your host, Josh Hatcher. And today's guest, Tim Holloway, is doing some amazing work. He built a six-figure business the first year of his life that he was sober, which happened after a lifetime of drug abuse, uh, a horrible home situation. His life was a mess, and he was able to get it turned around. And we're grateful to have him on the show today. But before we get into this interview, I just want to encourage you, please, if you have not signed up at the Manlyhood Man Cave, uh, on our, which is our private Facebook group for men, if you haven't done that yet, now's the time to do it. We'd love to have you in there. Also, don't forget, if you uh, go to manlyhood.com, go to store, you can see some of the books and some of the stuff I've got available for you, including some beard oil and some other great stuff like that. I'd love to be able to continue doing this work here at Manlyhood, and I'd like you to be a part of it by supporting what we're doing. So grab uh, grab an item from the store, and we'd be glad to ship it out your way. Listen, guys, uh, we're going to get into the interview now with Tim Holloway. Tim, it's great to have you with us on the Manlyhood Mancast today. Yes, yes. It's good to be here, brother. Thanks for inviting me in. Yeah, you're doing Thanks some pretty amazing work. It's been awesome it. to follow you and your journey and the work that you're doing. I think we can have some pretty good conversations today, man. Oh, yeah. Tim, why don't you tell me a little bit about what it is you do, and then we'll get into your story in just a little bit. So what is it that you do? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. By heart, I'm an entrepreneur, and that is coming up with a service to provide another person to be able to make money. I wasn't always an entrepreneur. It kind of fell on me. My my first entrepreneurial journey was I was reading an entrepreneur magazine, and this guy was selling tasers and self-defense products and stuff. And he was like a wholesaler drop shipper thing. And uh, I read that and I'm like, hey, why not? And ended up making tons of dollars on the side uh, of my construction company that I was working for. By classification, I'm an entrepreneur. What I do is um, I manage operations. So I'm an operational partner for, for a podcast company that does editing, marketing, and all that stuff that, that, that we're all familiar with in the podcast world. So yeah. What do you do, what I do, what do, you do in your off time? I know you've got a family. Yeah. Yeah. So my off time, I have quite a few passions, man. Music is one of them. Songwriting, getting the poetry and getting some of those maybe dark energy out. I love uh, doing that. I'm in the remodeling of a house. What we did, man, is so we moved from North Idaho all the way over here to Quincy, Illinois and uh, bought a house sight unseen. And uh, it wasn't really livable, though we decided to live here anyways. So immediately, right when we moved in, we just started gutting everything. And so I'm in the process of restoring this 100-year-old house and uh, just having a time, man. Every weekend, I just knock out a little bit, a little bit. I would say I'm probably like half done awesome. in this five-month period. Yeah. 
yeah, yeah, fun stuff. And then the kids, man, I have a quiver full, man. <laughs> of a lot of kids. Uh, we have five, one out of the house. One came back to regroup. Sometimes you think uh, you head out into the world and you need to regroup. And uh, so we have one at yeah. home that's regrouping. Yeah, I can understand that. Fortunately, mine haven't had to come back to regroup yeah. yet, but the door's open. Just they know that they know that the regrouping phase may be a yeah. little difficult. We've got those rules that we put in place like, hey, you're welcome to come back and live if you need to, but <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of buzz. So, so Tim, you've yeah. got a, a very compelling story yeah, yeah. of your life and kind of what brought you to this place. Because I think when people see you now, they see a man that is successful, that is living his dream, that's leading his family well, and that that I know that you, that nobody has it all together. Mm-hmm. But I think that people can look at your life and say, "Hey, I'm doing well." But it wasn't always that way, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, man, it wasn't always that way. Um, it's been a long road, a long bumpy road. Sometimes when I tell my story, it feels like one traumatic event after another. And for a period of time, that really was the case. And so, yeah, going back to the beginning, I'll just put it plainly is growing up on on welfare and in poverty and uh, with addicted parents who were both highly addictive and diagnosed with mental disorders and all of that stuff that it was a very hard start was what I would call it is a very, very difficult, a lot of pain, a lot of trauma, as you can imagine. I'm not really too sure if you're familiar with ACE, but it's called adverse childhood experiences. And uh, it's an assessment tool that uh, basically 10 questions. And you go through and answer these questions about your childhood. And then they rate you based upon this. And then what they found is that they've done this study and they followed these people and people that rank high on this ACE score, they, they die 15 years before everybody else does. And the reason why is because they never really deal with their trauma or these situations. So some of these questions are, how, is any one of your parents went to prison? Any one of your parents a drug addict? Any out of your parents use violence against you by hitting you in the face or hitting you too hard or leaving bruises. And then it goes down to even to the extremes of have you ever been sexually assaulted or molested or abused? And so these 10 questions. And so what opened my eye, brother, was this, is that I'm working in a treatment center and I've experienced all of these things and we're being trained to help kids, right? Who have experienced all of these trauma and stuff. And I stuffed all mine in, um, in, in alcohol at the time, just grounding some of this pain. And then I look at this list and I take this thing myself and I'm like, I got issues. I got the trauma. I got stuff that I need to deal with. So it was a real eye opener for me. And this happened, I would say about seven years ago. And then it set me on this path of really going all in with God and begin the healing process and uh, forgiveness, letting go of those hurts and all of that different stuff. So yeah. it's been a journey. Yeah, it sounds like it. It's I know a lot a of people who have been through that experience. I think everybody has trauma in varying degrees, but not everybody has to go through the kind of things that, that you've gone through. And it, we men have a skill yeah. that compartmentalization where we can like almost disassociate from the hurtful things in our past. And I think it's a skill, but I think like, it's also a detriment if we don't ever deal with it. Yeah, I do have deep thoughts about that. I think it can be beneficial and detrimental in the same thing. 
I do believe we're a little bit wired to that sense to compartmentalize because man, there's some things that are really, really painful and, uh, you know, maybe having to experience all of that pain at the same moment would be a little bit unbearable. Maybe just maybe <laughs> we might be created that way to compartmentalize, to be able to cope and to deal with things and then to maybe go to that compartment when we're ready to face it and to deal with those things. Because I think dealing with them all at the same time would probably crack somebody's psyche in a sense. But uh, yeah, going back to the beginning with my parents and them being addicted and on drugs and stuff. And this was hardcore drugs, meth and heroin. And uh, some of the stuff is comical. Some of the stuff is really painful, but some of the comical stuff is the paranoia and, that they would experience and uh, talking to people that aren't there and um, digging in their arms, looking for worms and digging through their crap, looking for worms and just this weird, odd behavior that, you know, you don't understand as a child of what, what quite is going on. You just see your parents digging through their poo and you just, you don't get it. You don't understand. But um, coming from like traumatic experience, I think one of the most traumatic, there were multiple, was murdered in our backyard over prostitution because we had a, a lot of prostitutes like squatting. Our house was like a squatting house. And there was a murder in our backyard over prostitution to slip from, uh, one into the other and uh, I, the guy ended up getting caught in Colorado. But I remember as a child, I wasn't there that weekend because my grandmother took me in a lot. And, but I do remember as a child hearing the stories and then seeing the mess because they don't clean that shit up. So, I mean, as a child and seeing that, and then, you know, immediately getting this fear-based motivations inside of you where it's like, what if they do that to me? You start getting these weird. And so it's like uh, living in, in fear is a, a norm inside of those situations. Another major one, and I don't want to bum like the listeners out, but I'll just share this so they can get a clue, is my, my stepdad was nuts and angry that he, he hung our cat by the tail and beat it with a baseball bat as us kids watched. And we're watching our, our pet being beat to death by him. And uh, so anyways, coming from that, the, the government decided to step in and take us all of us kids away. Obviously there's some teachers that were close to us and started hearing some of the stuff we were saying and some of the stuff we were experiencing and they let the child protective services know. And then at 10 years old, all of us siblings got taken away, which five of us and we got all got spread to different relatives and stuff. So very, uh, very painful, very traumatic experiences from there. You can imagine tough love counseling. My grandma put me in Christian school. Social workers came out all the time. Diagnoses and all of this different stuff. I really didn't know. I didn't know how to cope with anything that I was feeling. All I knew that, uh, that I was having like reoccurring nightmares and reoccurring scenarios of very fearful, paranoid type behavior where I was scared all the time. And Looking back now, it would, if I were to diagnose myself, I'd say I experienced a lot of PTSD from the situation and not really knowing how to cope. So I went to the drug route of uh, just getting full in, in addiction, trying to figure out how to cope. How old were you when you started the, doing drugs? things that were going on, man. So I was 12. It started out as sniffing paint and then it, it graduated from there to marijuana. I tried the bombing fluid, downers, upper. Once I found meth, all the other drugs just kind of side. I just went hard with meth and uh, 
Yeah. It's funny because, <laughs> not funny, but the people that I know, I, I'm connected with a lot of addicts through through my church and through my friends, a lot of pe- people who have overcome it, and then they're out uh-huh. trying to help other people. And like yeah. the meth side of things, man, like what it does to your brain is just crazy. Yeah, I'm uh, grateful because only did like three or four years so it was every day and it was like all in and i really messed up my life really bad to the point of hearing voices and having those paranoid delusions that when my parents were having holding on to a stop sign because i convinced myself that gravity was going to stop and mm. it was just gonna suck up into the atmosphere convincing myself that people are dead when they're actually living it's like this mental state of of a very paranoid delusions i would call it a self-induced schizophrenia it's really it's very self-induced and you're doing it to yourself through these chemicals and that a lack of sleep because your body doesn't get a chance to to recuperate in the four or five days of doing this and then your body shutting down and then you're just starting the process again then your body shutting down and you'll have to forgive me because while i've connected with a lot of addicts i've never really done that myself does meth have a high do you get high when you're using it the way I would describe it is like in a, like an extreme alertness. At the beginning, people accomplish great things. They're able to do things that uh, normal people can't do. This is why they gave it to a lot of the Japanese and the Nazis and stuff during World War II, to the alertness of the pilots to fight longer. And so as far as its first initial ability to, to accomplish something, yeah, but then the ta- the scales tip and they tip very quick. It's not like a, I've never seen a functional meth addict. I have yet to see one. I've seen functional alcoholics. I've seen functional people that, that smoke weed. I've even seen functional people that pop pills. I've never seen a functional or a heroin addict. I've never seen a functional heroin addict. Both meth and heroin, you pay with your life when you partake of these things. Those two especially, they consume you and the scales tip really quick. What once was like getting stuff done and highly alert turns into this, just this weird scatterbrained, not getting anything done and not even being able to get up without what I call motivation. You couldn't even get out of bed without the substance. So the scales tip quick and the benefits are not very What did that look like in your life when the scales tipped? Did it leave the people in your life? Did it, what kind of destruction did that cause for you, man? Yeah, so mainly, so I woke up at 13 to wake my grandma up. She didn't wake up. She was my guardian. And uh, so from there, I didn't have much of a life to that was good or great to begin with. I was a runaway. And so after she died, I ran away. I moved in with 35-year-old woman and uh, at that age. And so you can imagine, man, when I was 13, I was playing, I was playing baseball or I was at school. That wasn't my life. I wasn't, I wasn't doing those things. So as far as a moment where it destroyed my life was a wreck, man, from the beginning to having a defining moment where it was like drugs destroyed me. Um, No, but I think being curled up on a ball on the floor of the bathroom and crying and uh, wanting to escape life, suicide attempts, just an overall disgust with self and uh, not wanting to use anymore. Uh, people have a hard time understanding that, that I could be an addict and still despise the substance and not want to look, not want to use. A lot of people think that 
addicts just can't wait to use and that just wasn't the case every time that it came to using it was it was like here we go again it was very sad very painful yeah to i exist man. can picture where you didn't necessarily start out with a great life to begin with so here you are you're addicted did you go to school at all when you were run away what was that like? So I went to school just a little bit because my dad's parole officer said that he was going to take him to prison if he didn't if he didn't put me in school. So I, yeah, I did a little bit of school. I got expelled a lot, as you can imagine. So when my grandma was alive, she did the best she could to try to organize everything. But that Christian school expelled me. I went to public school. They expelled me. I went to district school. I cheated on everything. And yeah, that was about eighth grade. So... Even to this point, I never went back to school. I got my GED at the Y. And uh, so I still say that I got an eighth grade education and just give, I'll give glory to God that he's doing something with me, even though my education. No, I can definitely see that. Well. I, a lot of people don't down on yourself for that either. I ask that because, you know, just trying to get that clear picture for who yeah. you were and what it was like for you. You probably know a heck of a lot more about life than some of the people who spent their 13 years locked in a classroom. So that might not be a bet. You had said a different kind of education. Yeah, yeah. It often isn't. And a side note that education doesn't always produce fulfillment and satisfaction. We like to think that we can educate people out of their stuff, but sometimes education can do the opposite. And there's a lot of highly educated people that are just not really very fulfilled and happy. So education is definitely not the one all So how did you path. get <laughs> from being that high addicted teenager to the place where you were then helping other kids get off of the drugs? How did, when did that change happen? Yeah, close to about 17. So my existence at this point is I had a an overdose and uh, my hearing shut off. All I can hear was my heart. It was just like thump, 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 thump. And everything's just going into this tunnel. And I'm just like, just, whoo, just going for the ride, man. And I'm having a conversation with God. And uh, it reminds me of <laughs> Lieutenant Dan of Forrest Gump. It wasn't a very good conversation. It wasn't a please forgive me conversation. It was a, an F you conversation. And I'm not afraid to die. And all these lies that we tell ourselves. You know, I'm here having a conversation with my creator. As I'm, I feel like it's going to be my last moments on this earth. And I'm meeting him in this hostile fashion. And uh, after pondering the situation... After I got through and looking at the situation, I had a firm reality that that if I didn't do something, I was going to meet my creator in that fashion. And uh, that I was going to be very hungry and that I was going to go before him in this very hostile fashion. And that was the reality of where I was currently located. That's the way I was going to cross over, if you will. And that really scared me, man. And uh, after the overdose, I just spent a lot of time reflecting and uh, just really thinking and decided to stumble into a church and uh, preachers uh, it was a very small church and uh, say that he was talking to me he was talking to me <laughs> wow the pastor was talking to me this time he was really talking to me there was only about 15 people in there and my uh, my understanding is he wouldn't give an altar call for the people that were there he was talking directly to me so i decided to heed the call and give my life to christ and something happened even more than what already happened so after the overdose moment like thing changed and i had like different desires where i was like man i don't want to do this no more i don't want to do this anymore 
but I'm like stuck in it when I can't find the power to not do this. So from that moment, it was like, I felt the empowerment to actually carry some of these new desires out, um, which was a blessing for me because I was, I was disgusted, man. I was, I was sick of it. Having that experience and then having the desires was good, but it really frustrating when you can't carry out the desires. So getting that connection to what I feel like was connection with God and power source and, and really being able to carry out these desires. That's what really produced the change in my life. Wanting to change alone. Yeah. I know a lot of people who have gotten clean and changed their life without God, but I also know a lot more that have done it with God. And they will tell you that's the only reason that they did. Yeah. And I think that's a pretty awesome thing. I think that I know that in my own life, the things that I have struggled with, the addictions that I have had, which aren't the same addictions, but they were addictions. The only way that I could have stopped was with divine help. I needed something bigger and more than myself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm with you. I think uh, people change for all kinds of reasons. Um, some of those can be very selfish. Some can be very eye-opening. But yeah, people do change for all kinds of reasons and all kinds of incentivizations and stuff. I don't believe that uh, God is the only way to to stop addiction. But I do believe that uh, getting connected with Him and to accomplish His will through your life is the only way to real like lasting fulfillment i've seen people sober ain't got a lick of god in their life their character sucks they're still selfish as ever and so i do believe that faith and connection with god is the best though a lot of people can recover yeah. for all kinds of reasons all kinds of different reasons so that's a funny story keith urban and, and uh, what's her name she's famous i forget her name Anyway, she, he, Keith Urban's married to this. She was that girl that was married to Tom Cruise. Nicole Kidman. There you go. She pays him a lot of, a certain amount of money to stay sober. So every year he gets uh, some $2 million or whatever it is to stay sober. People are incentivized for all kinds of reasons. Him, $2 million is enough to incentivize him to change. But yeah, so I, I say that just... Make comic is that, that yeah, people that's awesome do things for all kinds of reasons. Yeah. So then, uh, so you got clean, <laughs> gave your life to the Lord, and still struggled with the drinking until that changed, right? A little later down the road. Yeah, that was a a cop took me in from church because I'm still I'm still in this living environment where it's hard to stay clean. I'm on the wagon, off the wagon, just trying to get things right, learning how to walk. That's the way I look at it now. Is that I was learning how to walk. So this. Cop took me in and uh, into his family, treated me like uh, one of his kids. I learned so many things for those three years until I was 20 when I moved out. But becoming what a man was, what a real marriage looked like, I had no clue, man. My stepdad smacking my mom around and all that stuff. I didn't have a clue of what real, what it was supposed to look like. I learned, yeah, he was like fit, man, just like... He was ripped, had a great life, had a great wife, had a great family, a house on the hill. All of these things, when I say what I owe my change to is that moment with Christ and then that mental relationship with another person who knew how to be a man and who was willing to invest time inside of me. So that set me onto a different path, man, getting a job, getting an apartment, becoming responsible, becoming a husband, just kind of learning all of those things. Yeah. And then the alcoholism kind of stuck a little bit throughout there and got worse and worse. I needed to, um, 
I think I needed to experience that uh, my trust, uh, looking to this substance for to help me once again, putting myself back into this dependent state. So that was the uh, final thing that that I had to overcome and face. But or it's probably not the final thing. We still have things that. to overcome and face. But the... Yeah. Final big thing that uh, now it's like a man the freaking <laughs> carbs and food and which I hey I'd rather struggle with some sugar and some Oreos and some ice cream than uh, into uh, yeah. MD on uh, I totally um, get it. <laughs> but like you said that root of it was yeah. finding a way to start dealing with your trauma and putting that in its proper place and I think a lot of guys stop there because when you yeah. have, to, have to start looking back at the crap. Man, it just sucks. Nobody likes to be. Yeah, and I'd say this happened in my early 30s, probably around uh, 33, 34. I'm, Wait, I'm you're 31 now, now or you're 41 now? I'm like, dude, 49. you're aging 49, backwards. Sorry. That is the fountain of youth. I need that. You're <laughs> aging backwards. Yeah, getting that wake-up call with that A score, really begin to look at some of these things. Man, you mind if I share with you one of the biggest revelations? It's this reframing the stories that we tell ourselves. I didn't learn how to do that. If I did in my 20s, then I probably would have made some better choices. But uh, reframing the stories, what it looked like for me was my, my mother lost custody of me because she didn't love me. And it had, in my life, had all these like certain narratives that, um, that weren't really true, man. And really being willing to face those stories and challenge them Man, I think it's probably the greatest weapon that, that God can give us. And we overlook it, man. It is This concept is so biblical. If you're familiar with the Philippians where it says, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are pure, whatever things are good, think on these things. And he gives a list of some things to think on. And uh, we read something like that and we breeze past it. And it's like, wait, you just got one of the major things that God wants to instill inside of his people. And that is like focusing your mindset on these certain things and then allowing yourself to think about these things. You know, first thing say, whatever things are true, that blew me away. And I'm like, okay, my mom doesn't love me. Is that true? All of the chaos in her life had to do with me. Is that true? But just even coming at this in like using this biblical scripture as something like so practical to challenge these false narratives of what we're thinking about up here and uh, begin to dissect them and dismantle them because they're not true and uh, placing that with the truth. So my truth was this, it was my mom had her own trauma and she experienced a lot of pain and she was doing the best that she could with the talent, resources and skills that she had at the time. Now, this is my story replacement this one takes away my pain. This one here causes me a lot of pain. And if I go down the rabbit hole that I'm unworthy, that my mother didn't love me, that I was no good, what kind of outcome am I going to get from that? But if I shift the story and I get it more closer to reality, because this one's far closer to reality than the other one. My mom didn't wake up in the morning and goes, how can I make sure that my child suffers today? <laughs> she, was a, she was a drug addict. You know what I mean? She's just going through her garbage, didn't know how to cope, didn't know how to, all these things. The Bible gives us a, a process to challenge these narratives and to accept something that's, that's the truth. And once we begin to accept that, the pain begins you know, to decrease. I, you mentioned earlier in 
in our conversation, the word forgiveness. And that's a hard thing for a lot of people because I can think of things in my life that when I had to forgive a person for something that they did wrong, even sometimes very maliciously, right? The picture you're painting of your mom, like she did love you. She just didn't know how to do it. So that's easier to forgive than someone who maliciously yeah, uh -huh. tried to hurt you. And that does happen. But doing that yeah. is like to forgive that person that, that screwed me over that, that is life changing. Uh -huh. It is. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm glad you brought that up because that's the, that's usually the major rebuttal that I get when I share this information with somebody is, but you don't understand they were wicked and they did this intentionally. And uh, so I faced some of that too. And I do feel like that I do have a really good answer for that also, because I swear, like my stepdad, I think he woke up in the morning and said, how am I going to make this fool suffer? I swear he did. He was, he was so antagonistic and uh, smacking your hand, bad hands, and wouldn't let you go and then watch you explode and then, and then like laugh at you and mock you and make these sounds of crying along with you. And he was just not a good person in reframing this. <laughs> it's all about reframing. So here's my reframe for that is that. So here I am today. I'm a loving husband, entrepreneur. I work from home. I have a really good life. I feel this connection and empowerment with God. And then I look back and I say, what part did my stepfather have in creating me? And then I begin to think about this, that uh, if I say all the trouble and all the hearts happened to me is wood and I'm fire then all of that stuff fueled me to become who I am today. So my reframe is this, is that, and I've already let go and released my stepfather and even had a sense of gratitude that, that I'm so tough and I owe that to him. And I owe also my other brother, my older brother kicking my ass all the time, but just a little bit of sense of gratitude where it's the hope, even though it wasn't their intention to help me, they were the wood that fueled the fire that, uh, that got me to be strong and to appreciate goodness and life and all of these things. So that's my reframe for that. And uh, it's still a mental game and it's still a reframe on how we want to interpret yeah. different things. So my father messed up my life. That story, man, I've been there. <sighs> man, he just like the abuse, the trauma, everything that he did, man, he just, I go, I went to that victim role and it's like, he messed up my life. And I am the way that I am because of what he did, that story didn't get me anywhere, man. <laughs> that story got me to, so to the drugs, just, you know? Your unpacking of that story reminds me of something that I say all the time, and I've never pictured it in this setting, so it actually mm -hmm. makes me excited. But I, I like to say that the blame game has no winner. Because responsibility is not about yeah. whose fault it is. It's about your responsibility to make it right. So it doesn't matter who screwed it up. Tim said... I'm not going to live yeah. like that anymore. And that's not going to control my life or define who I am. I'm going to be who I'm meant to be. Yeah. Man, that is so good. That is so good. There, there is no winner in the blame game. And man, once I, uh, I take on the role of a victim and I've taken it on, all of that leads to excuses and justifications. And, uh, and we get a good enough reason why we are the way that we are. And we repeat this story over and over again. And it brings us a lot of pain. So I feel my calling. It's to help people stop the pain. And I think uh, one of the main methods to stop the pain is uh, following the biblical mandate to think on the things that it actually 
tells us to think about. If I take that scripture and I reverse it, I think on things that are true. And then I flip that one, think of things that are false, that are lies, that are. So in this one path is going to lead us to life. The other path is going to lead us to a lot of pain and to heartache. And uh, just breaking down that uh, that mindset, I think, is, is super key. Yeah. Suffering is kind of optional. <laughs> it's optional in the sense of it depends on how we're going to view that. What's amazing, though, Josh, is that people that have experienced, let's just say rape, for example. I'm a little bit hesitant to say that, but it's the first thing that comes to my mind. That they experience that they come through the pain and then they become an advocate and they share their story or they experience the situation they don't overcome it and that pain consumes them and it becomes the death of them we got these two different options of this very bad situation and one leads to victimhood and a whole lot of pain and allowing that person just to rape you over and over again through your mental exercises and uh, rehearsing the pain and nursing it and, and just replaying it over and over. Or you could take on the victor role and that's what Christ wants us to become is overcomers. He's the one that causes us to triumph and we're to victoriously. And the way we do that is, is in my mind is is um, those, yeah. those, uh, and it doesn't mean that you let the other person off the hook. Lies. You don't let that rapist off the hook. Yeah, you can still hold them accountable. Yeah, you don't have to have anything to do no. with them, but you don't have to stay there. Mm -hmm. You don't have to have some vivid imagery there. So I, I can see yeah. that, man. That's good. Yeah, and then people like, because uh, I've been molested and stuff. I experienced all ten of the aces, and uh, immediately you get kicked back. It's like, how dare you say that? Like, how dare you say that? You can experience something like that and then have a victor mindset and then come through it and become an advocate. I'm like, there's people all over the world who have experienced such losing a child, all of these different things. And they victoriously triumph over the pain and are an advocate to other people. And they're a great source of strength to people that are going through the situation. So. I would say another thing, that other gratitude moment for my stepfather was I wouldn't have the story. I wouldn't be talking to you, Josh, if my stepfather wasn't the way that he was. And so once again, it's just a moment of gratitude, but you got to be out of the situation and you got to do your process of healing. And then you got to be able to go back and reframe some of these yeah. things to, no, that's awesome. to get to that victor moment. Tim, I like to ask all my guests a few questions. And this is one of my favorite parts of the podcast because we get some different answers and it's just a lot of fun. But what does it take to be a man? What does it take to be a man? The first thought that comes to my mind is responsibility. And the reason why I say responsibility is because when the process of growth, we can become very immature, right? And we can go into adulthood holding on to what the Bible calls childish things. Paul says, when I became a man, I put away childish things. Not every man puts away childish things. They're in a man's body, but they're still very immature and very childish for me manliness comes to responsibility 
And that is that uh, I'm responsible for my mental health. I'm responsible for my marriage. I'm responsible for my household. I'm responsible. I'm responsible. And so the opposite of that is victimhood is that I'm not responsible for my mindset. I can't, we can't particularly control our thoughts, but we can control of whether we nurture and feed them and entertain them. That's our responsibility. And yeah, extreme responsibility is in my mind is manhood. Yeah, I would agree with you 100%. I think that's definitely the first pillar. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think Um, this one is? Like as far as... I think that I'm going blank, so I'm going to have to think about that more. I have a great list of it all. I'm literally reading my book in my head trying to figure out what the next chapter is, and it's gone. Usually people don't ask me questions. I'm asking you questions. (laughs) (laughs) I'm totally editing out this section of the podcast. (laughs) Oh, that's good, brother. Shit. Like owning? No. Yeah. So a part with that responsibility is ownership. And uh, here's the hard truth. And it hit me really hard one day. This is in a very dysfunctional marriage where I'm getting clean. I'm getting better. She's not. She's going off the deep end. DUI accident with my daughter in the car. I come into the scene at the 12 midnight and I see that my daughter's not there. And my wife's on the curb with the police. And this is a very terrible experience. And uh, getting this feeling of how have I caused or allowed this to happen? Now, this is really tough for some people because it's like, especially in victimhood, because you you go to, I didn't cause or allow this to happen. I didn't do nothing to, and you're missing the point. And the point is that I'm in pain now. And I got to ask myself today. Why am I causing or allowing this to happen? And so that means maybe getting some backbone, getting some boundaries. Maybe that means putting your foot down. Maybe that put, it comes to putting it into a relationship that's very detrimental. Those are very responsibility actions. But until I go, how have I caused or allowed this to happen? Those decisions don't get made because I'm still in the victim role that this is happening to me and I'm not making any choices that are contributing to these factors. The first thing that we should do in any dysfunction is, oh, why, how am I participating? Like how, what is my part in this situation? And stop my part immediately, stop it. And that way I can get into a place of power because it's not gonna happen unless I'm willing. 100%, I agree. Tim, the next question for you is, if you were to run into the 10 year old version of yourself, Uh What would you tell him? Uh-huh. It gets better. It gets better. I have I had a lot of compassion for my younger self. That's why I ended up in a treatment center, helping the younger, the younger me version and uh, empathetic understanding and seeing it will get better. You know, I don't think I would have had a magic answer for myself then. And I think the reason why is. We have to go through our process and our mental capacity is growing and expanding and we're not quite there yet. And some of the solutions that I have now of challenging your thoughts and all this different stuff, I don't know if I would have been able to receive at that moment. So I would just more of a compassion, probably give myself a big old hug and say, you know what, it's going to get better. Yeah. It's going to get better. Yeah. That's something we talk about a lot (laughs) that sometimes that 10 year old isn't going to receive it anyway yet. And it takes a while. Totally. Tim. Yeah. What is your best advice for the men that are listening today? This is going to be faith-based because I think we get it a little confused. This might be more relevant to faith-based men out there, but uh, we complicate things. And that is why I feel like spirituality is a connection with a divine parent. 
and that is a role as a father and you take on the role as a child. And in that situation, learning wisdom from God, inclining your ear to listen, that means you got to be open, you got to be open to it. And then after you're opening, open to yielding to the process. Now, if you had asked me like, Hey, Tim, what does God want? Incline your ear to his wisdom and yield to what he's the impression that he's given to you. If you want to walk in wisdom, if you want to be successful, if you want all of these things, and I think simply what Jesus said about the foundation of those who hear my word and do it, let's not complicate it any more than that. You'll yeah. trust the process. Yeah, I think that's excellent yeah, advice. That's advice. So the guys that are listening today that want to get in touch with you, that want to connect with the work you're doing, what's the best way to make that happen? Yeah, just check me out at the real Tim Holloway Instagram, TikTok. <laughs> not much on TikTok, but I will be someday. And Facebook, I think it's probably Tim Holloway. Come on, I really lot, appreciate so. you. I appreciate your insights today. Tim, thank you so much for being on the show today, man. I really appreciate your story. I appreciate the power of what God has done in your life, but also the power of you also digging in and saying, no more, this is my life and it's going to change because there's a lot of power in that as well. And we're really grateful that you took the time to be with us, guys. Uh, Tim, thanks so much for being on the show. I'm really excited to see what God has done in your life. I'm grateful that uh, you're willing to share that story, including the mistakes that you've made, the things that you've gone through. And uh, I'm grateful for you. Guys, if you uh, want to check out the work Tim's doing, make sure you check out the show notes and you can connect with him. Uh, I'm really glad that you guys took the time to listen today. I really mean it when I say this. I love you. I care about you. And I'll see you next time. If you want to be a better man, check out our website, manlyhood.com, for blogs, videos, and more from our Manlyhood team. Men, you can also join our private Facebook group, Manlyhood Man Cave, where you can meet up with a band of brothers who will challenge you and help you on your journey of manhood. This episode is produced by Hatcher Media for manlyhood.com. Be sure to subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes, YouTube, or wherever you're listening to the show. Tune in again for more of the Manlyhood Mancast.